So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and I'm also the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. And I got with me my coach, Chuck Nice. That's right. Chuck Nice Comic tweeting. Thank you, sir. Yes, that yeah. is indeed correct. Right. There you go. At Chuck Nice Comic. Was there a Chuck Nice already taken? Is that what happened? Um, yes, it was me. Or <laughs> did you? I actually uh, didn't like myself enough to cancel that. <laughs> And so I just started a whole new one called you just got I'm a, starting all over again. Chuck Nice Comic. In case you didn't laugh at my tweet, just remember that it's Chuck Nice Comic. Right. right. Exactly. That's how that works. Exactly. Uh, you're also host of a of a, a spinoff of Star Talk that we're all quite proud of. Yes. Playing with science. Playing with science. Yeah, because we what happened was we had uh, of our guests, the portfolio of our guests, the the ones that were professional athletes developed their own following, basically. And we mm. figured let's spawn that. Yes. Into its own show. I have spawned with professional athletes. <laughs> Never thought I'd be able to say those words. <laughs> yes. So, and uh, your co-host on that is, is uh, Gary. Gary O'Reilly, who yeah. is a performer, a, a former professional footballer. Footballer for the UK. For the yeah, UK, yeah, yeah, Crystal cool. Palace. and uh, Very cool. And uh, today we're talking about the evolution of personal technology. Wow. Indeed. Uh, that's a that's a very rapid evolution. Yes, it is. And I'm uh, featuring my interview with YouTube vlogger and uh, all-around sensation in this niche. We have uh, Marquez Brownlee oh, that's featuring my interview. The kid? It, yes. That kid? Yes. Who does all the unboxing and yes. stuff? Yes. I love that yes. kid. Yes. And he's also known online as what? MKB MKBHD. There you go. I love that kid. There, you, there, there you go. Featuring my interview with him. Cool. That was fun. Just because I feel like you know. Okay, go to bed now and say pass your bed. I felt like being his father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but exactly. no, he's got his own world. Yeah, man. Like created his own he's, world. He's big stuff. Now, since uh, I only have marginal expertise in this, generally we go out and find the real expertise, as we did today mm -hmm. in studio. We have science and tech writer for the New York Times and other outlets, including Wired, Clive Thompson. Clive, good to be here, my friend. Welcome. Ah, it's great to be here. Dude, dude. And so you, 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 you have a book from a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, smarter Than You Think. Yep. How Technology is Changing Our Minds 
for the better. Yes, sir. Wow, that is so counterintuitive. So, you are the only one <laughs> in the house. Exactly. I'm the, I'm the only one holding down that argument. We yeah, exactly. You know, everybody else thinks it's making us if, dumber. If, if you need that book, I uh, I have one for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we don't. None of us agree with whatever you could have possibly put in there. Um, so, uh, in my interview with Marquez Brownlee. Uh, he runs the YouTube channel, MKBHD. Yeah. It's a YouTube channel. Uh, five million subscribers, 700 million video views. And he reviews new tech and gadgets that you might think of buying. Right. Or that you already bought and then you learned you shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> so so any idea what makes makes it so popular? Because I'm not a first adopter, so I don't... I don't have to chase the latest unwrapping. But see, that's unwrapping. what makes it so popular. Why? Is what you just said. I'm not a first adopter. He is the first adopter oh, you need in, in your stead. Somebody has Somebody's to be. Somebody's got to be the first. The first adopter. And that's what yeah. this kid does. And also, frankly, I mean. i got to stop calling him a kid. <laughs> <laughs> he's a grown man. I'm just old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. He, you know, he's, he's, he's also, uh, you know, he, I think he's sort of an exemplar of what's happening at this new generation of, of sort of broadcasters are growing up not on TV but on online right. and uh, and they're really I mean they're, he's really good at it you look at it it's like it's just beautifully shot he's just oozing charisma so in uh, modern times one perhaps shouldn't even make the distinction between being on TV or being online well, yeah in a weird way I mean YouTube is such a funny old phrase right because tube right. I mean who actually watching YouTube remembers a tube, what, a a tube, cathode, uh, ray tube. cathode ray tube none of right? them none of them, none of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I barely do it's so like you know I've got a couple of young kids in grade school middle school and you know for them you know what they watch where they learn things from is YouTube like you know they, right. they, they not once we got a TV box that hooked up to YouTube it's just YouTube on TV like there's no actual TV being watched or they don't make the distinction that's right absolutely right. true right right, right. Yeah. so that's the that's an emergent mm -hmm. fact I think it's beyond just not making the distinction because uh, I have also an 11 year old and um, he is resistant to mm -hmm. television right yeah the fact that he has to do it on their time and their schedule mm -hmm. actually and sit down in front of a thing attached to the wall it, it upsets him well, it's <laughs> like how dare you and there's also sort of I mean I, I think there's kind of an authenticity that comes or apparent authenticity hard to say how authentic it really is but from you know seeing someone who looks maybe more like someone you might actually know doing this like mm -hmm, you know like mm -hmm. my, my kids watch all these Minecraft videos and so it's just someone doing Minecraft and then a little box up in the corner showing them in their crappy little room that's what my son and does there yes. you go and my son does it's how to play that game better that's right yeah right right yeah. So, so, so the, the YouTube feels more authentic and more, you know, like there's a real person there than a very glossy TV show. And well, they get like 12 million views. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> on how to execute some maneuver yeah. in that situation. All right. So I sat down with Marquez. Uh, so he, he's well known on the web, of course. And I just asked him how he got started on YouTube. So let's check it out. So Marquez, so you, apparently you've been doing this since you were three years old or something, is it? <laughs> For a while, a number of years. More than a majority of my life. The most of your life, yeah. yeah. So more than half your life. And how old are you now? So I'm 22. You're getting old. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you how, how it happens later on. It's just <laughs> downhill from 22. Yeah. So, so you're into gadgets. Yeah, into all kinds of tech. I got into cameras and I got into all the tech around me. And then this sort of merged into making videos about the tech. At, on a YouTube channel that's a hugely popular place for people to go. Right, and it didn't start that way. It started as just me making videos for like myself just to have that exist somewhere. Uh, and then slowly people started to discover it and then it sort of grew from that. It doesn't cost money to, to review a gadget 
you got to own the gadget right. or somehow obtain it. Right. So what? How'd you do? What'd you do? I, I was in school, so I was I was using a laptop for school. So I reviewed the laptop, and I reviewed a bunch of free software on the laptop, and then I started reviewing paid things that I bought, maybe the cooler for the laptop. That's the kind of stuff that got got you off the ground, and then you sort of proceed to to check out more elaborate or extravagant things. And, and then people come to depend on you. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. Especially I'm not buying it unless Marquez. When it's, it's something you use as daily as like a smartphone, for example, that's mm -hmm. the kind of thing you do actually put a lot of research into and watch a whole bunch of videos on before you actually buy it. So when did you realize you started having a following? I think one of the, the turning points is a video I did about a web browser when Safari by Apple came to Windows. I made a video about that, woke up the next morning and I had a couple of thousand views from people who weren't subscribed. That was kind of a light bulb moment, like, oh, people actually kind of care about this timely information. And by then you had just turned five years old. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was probably about 15, so okay. I'll give myself Same that. difference. <laughs> now, I just wondered, did, did, did your parents worry about you? If you're, you're just playing with gadgets, he'll never amount to anything. He's just playing with these toys. I gotta guess yes. <laughs> I don't actually know the answer, but I would, I would guess yeah. Such as the... Always the case when the next generation defines what the future will be. So, Clive, how would you distinguish your childhood from his? Because you you grew, yeah. you were started writing and mm -hmm. you cared about the same gadgets mm -hmm. and software that he did, but not in that era. So. That's right. Yeah, I mean, this is like you know, I grew up in the in the eighties, and then when I get out of college in the nineties, there's there's no uh, no smartphones yet. There's barely an internet, right? right? There was like a lot of these text. BBS. Al Gore had you know? to invent it first. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Message yeah, boards. message boards. Message, message board. Yeah, so, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So board. I, I kind of had them, and like, so I, I could see the future coming with message boards. I, I could sort of figure out what was happening, right? But yeah, my 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 youth is very very different, and I think you know. Wait, wait. You you would have come of age during the earliest cell phones then, correct? Uh, you know, I was mid, I, mid 90s was that? No, no, I, I was I was in my I was well into my 20s when the when the when the mobile phones came out basically. Okay. So I, I Did was, you have it a shoulder like mounted a, one? Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the Wall ones that, the... ones you can use to deflect bullets. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no. It's I like I, calling Mars. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Exactly. That's yeah. They were. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think uh, it was very different, and I think um, I think there's some things I would have liked about it. I mean, I look at the online world now, and I think I wish I had some of this stuff. I was in a band in high school, right? So you know, we make a we make a couple, you know, a small EP of, of music. Who heard that? No one, right? Okay, so, so you wish nobody. you were born 15 years later. Yeah, I'd yeah. Say. that's really yeah. what you're saying. It's, in some respects, his yes. band would have put the thing out on YouTube. And then ended up on Ellen. Okay, right? Ellen sees it. Ellen would have found it. Then yeah, before yeah. you know it, it's exactly. just like, whoa. Look okay, at us. so so uh, I try to take a cosmic view on these matters. Okay, and I just try to imagine um, in 20 years. Marquez Brownlee saying, gee, I wish, wish I was born 15 years later. Right. Because of something else. What else would that have That would have made right. some next generation even more potent. YouTube of the mind. Of the mind, yeah. Right. But yeah, hard, you know, you're, USB into exactly. the... You just jack in and you close your eyes. You don't even have to close your eyes. Right, right. and just sends it to wherever it's got to be. Yeah, right, exactly. right. Implants it in right. people. And we're looking back in these days as how uh, how archaic they, they were. Yeah. So, so I, I'm just curious, the... In terms of YouTube as a site, are there other sites now? As I understand it, uh, Facebook is now a huge 
uh, access point for videos. Yes. I would say also Snapchat actually, or Snap as they now call it, is, mm -hmm. a, is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. um, there are, like they started this channel, it's kind of like, you know, where uh, people do like semi-professional videos, but there's people that have just kind of blown up on, on, on Snap, I have trouble calling it Snap, on Snapchat. Um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's a very, very big video uh, area for young people now too. Uh, uh, YouTube is still, you know, the gorilla in the room, but right. uh, there are others. So Snapchat, it, it, the thing about Snap, snap <laughs> right? Crackle pop. That's what I know when I say snap. Um, but the snap, the thing is that uh, it seems like all of their technology, they're they're quite innovative. Yeah. But it seems like all their technology just gets stolen by these yep. other sites. That's right. Yeah. How are they going to stay in business? I don't know. Could, yeah, because Facebook, basically Instagram essentially copied everything they did. Absolutely. And now it turns out that Instagram's blowing up because people are doing that kind of quick viral video thing on Instagram. I, I, I That's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Okay. If you don't know, who, what, what, yeah. who, 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 give me the guy who does know. Exactly. <laughs> Wheel him in. So, so with, you know, phones coming out, the next generation of phones look pretty expensive. The next iPhone is going to be up there. How, how influential do you think those reviews are in people's buying, buying decisions? Oh, I think they're awfully big. I mean, like, uh, when I talk to people and ask them how they learn about things, oh, okay. uh, like, I'll ask them and they're like, yeah, it's all YouTube, all YouTube. Like they they immediately go there to try and figure out what something looks like, what it feels like, what it works like, and whether or not they should spend money on it. So YouTube has become the conduit for learning about something before you buy it. Absolutely. So I asked Marquez to just sort of reflect on how technology has evolved over his short number of years right. reviewing it. So let's check it out. So so you're you're 22 now. Yeah. So. In your long career as reviewer, what what is what would you say has changed most since you were fifteen, let's say, uh, or that has impressed you most? Yeah. For what has changed? I can. I'll give two things. One, I, I talk about a lot of handheld electronics like smartphones, tablets, laptops. Displays have impressed me a lot, and the quality and resolution, the quality, the crispness, detail, the crispiness, all that stuff, a lot in the last couple of years, and also more recently cameras. Uh, cameras in smartphones, cameras in laptops, the, the front-facing cameras, but especially in smartphones, we've gotten a lot better. But the number one thing I'd say is the displays. And the quality of displays has enabled a whole industry to land in that medium. Isn't that correct? Yeah. It's not just making what you saw previously better. Yeah. It is opening up entire new industries. Is that a fair statement? Virtual reality is an example where you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a super high resolution display right up against your face with a lens to focus on it to put you in another world. That would not be possible with the displays four or five years ago. Because that close to your face, the lower resolution would be unsellable to you. Yeah. Is that a fair? Yeah. Okay. So we've crossed certain thresholds of d device innovation. Yeah. Uh, Apple might use the term Retina display to describe a display where the pixel density is so great that your eye cannot discern individual pixels. Pretty much every phone has a retina display at this point, where five years ago that was not the case. Um, and even the photos you take with the cameras getting so detailed and such high resolution uh, that, again, the type of images you can take out of a camera on your smartphone are often better than something you'd get from a dedicated camera like seven, eight years ago. Yeah, so, so Clive, what... Can you explain why this is happening? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just demand and supply, right? So once no, I didn't know the demand stuff that I'm buying now. <laughs> I mean, like it, they, it's like, oh my gosh, I guess uh, that's kind of cool. Once people mean? started, once it, once the iPhone came out and people realized that they wanted ten, not, this not is back just, in ten years ago, right? Alpha iPhone comes out and they don't want a little flip phone anymore. They want something as a screen on it, right? So that produces an enormous demand for those screens. And over in you know Asia, the factories start working and working, working, working. The price drops dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so the high end is always chasing more and more pixels and more, and more resolution and greater brightness. But even that has dropped and dropped and dropped and dropped to the point where like, you know, it's an expensive part of the phone, but it's 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 amazing how cheap you can get really nice uh, screens now over in yeah. Asia. So so all right, now I have a nice screen, but like I said, this I never would have imagined using my cell phone saying, gee, yeah. I want to take a picture with my cell phone. Oh, I see what you this mean. This was yeah. not an yeah. urge. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I don't think anybody had that urge. Nope, nope. I think what might have driven that. In uh, fact, the... I thought they were forcing it on me initially. <laughs> yeah, they did. Right. They, they were, if right. you remember. And I think what did it was, believe it or not, apps. What mm -hmm. the, 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 the advent of apps and these photo apps that allowed you to do your own little like um, photoshopping mm -hmm. and to manipulate okay, so images you became a participant and, and then it. post them. You, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think in many ways, the tipping point was probably Instagram, right? So that was the first uh, first thing where you could take a picture and you could do you put a filter on it and make it look prettier than what you did. Right. And this was an intentional thing that Kevin Systrom, the guy that invented it, uh, was talking about with his girlfriend when he was designing it about sharing photos. And she said to him, they were talking about it, and she was like, the problem is I don't want to share my photos, they don't look as good as yours. He's, he's a big you know, analog camera guy. And, and he said, well, that's because I'm using all these, these films that produce these lovely filtering effects. She said, well, you need to put some filters in that thing. Lo and behold, that's exactly what worked because you could take pictures, make them look pretty, instantly share them, that took off. Are we gonna go up against is there some Moore's law of personal technology? Yeah, there is. Um, and, and is that going to end? Is well, that going to level first off? of all, guys, let me just say that uh, there are some people who may not be in, uh, familiar with what Moore's sure. law is. I mean, I know what well, it is. Some other people might but, not you know, know. Those <laughs> other people is that may not. Right. But what is Moore's law? In brief, Moore's law is um, the observation, uh, you know, several decades ago that computer chips were getting basically twice as fast every 18 months, right? And that's because they could make the components smaller and smaller and smaller. They are now at the atomic level. Those wires are so tiny, you can't make them any smaller. That is what's called the end of Moore's law. So will the devices stop getting and faster? And this is Gordon Moore. Gordon Moore, that's yeah, right, yeah. One so, of the founders of uh, Hewlett Packard, I think, is that uh, correct? Yeah, yeah, oh boy, uh, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, was it either that Mr. Or Tech Journalist? Sem or Fairchild Semiconductor, I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm blanking here. Anyway, <laughs> um, the point being uh, that uh, the question is, you know. But you know, the, you know the issue, when the wires are so small and they reach yeah. Atomic distances, right? Then quantum effects between wires start taking That's over. That's right. Sweet. And it is sweet. <laughs> that is, is awesome. So, sweet. so, so the wire pretty, pretty cannot yeah. no longer know cool. that it's independent of the wire sitting next to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the wave function yeah. talks to them both. Dude, that's Ooh. amazing. Ooh. I love it. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, look at physics. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so yeah, so they're essentially having to figure out how to make things faster right. without making them smaller. Okay, so fine. So even if you do level off at Moore's Law, um, are there, fine, but presumably design can change. Are, yeah. there, are there any other limits? Price? Price? 
yeah. cultural yeah sure d- um, uh, design at the moment actually weirdly one of the big limits is how fast can you get data to that device from like a cell phone tower right you know yes. like, like that's almost a bigger limit now than the speed of the phone right it's like cable tv that's right you know yeah. what i mean like they talk about how great your yeah. cable is and we have this fiber optic and whatever and it's like yeah i still got copper running into my house who gives a damn Precisely. Like, <laughs> I, it, like i actually <laughs> fell for that crap and i was just like this is the exact same cable i had before right. so, so can we think of these smartphones as uh, augmenting our human physiology. Absolutely, sure. I mean, every technology we've had has, to a certain extent, as Marshall McLuhan put it, been an extension of man, right? You know, so uh, um, TV extended our vision, the phone extended our ability to speak and talk. These things are are the strongest extensions of, of, of humanity that we've ever had. And I would say that you could think of them as almost like a sense apparatus. They're like a form of ESP by which we tap into what people... Not ESPN. That's yeah, a not ESPN, thing. exactly. Da-da-da, yeah. da-da-da. Okay. <laughs> but a yeah. form of ESP. Yeah, the, 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 you could think of them as a form of ESP by which we sense what other people are thinking and talking about and doing like all the time for good and for ill, right? Because on the one hand, wow, you learn a lot of great things. On the other hand, it's almost like having telepathy and being able to shut being unable to shut other people's voices off in your head. That's in fact, when I tweet and I look at the responses to that, too, I usually tweet something yeah. educational. Right. That's my intent. And I try to add a little funny in it if right. I can't. Just right. a little, yeah. you know, to well, You do a good job, me. I'm going to say. Uh, it's all right. yeah, I'm going to blow smoke. I get B+. Plus. I, I get B+. Plus. I get B+. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I look at the response to it, and that informs, I see that as a neurosynaptic snapshot of the instantaneous reaction to words I use, to phrases I compose, to ideas I put out there. And then when I give a public talk, I fold those in and I'm a way better communicator. Sure. Because yeah, of it. No, so that's my ESP in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. Getting inside the head of, of you know a million people. Mm-hmm. I and- just figured out I'm doing Twitter all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I, coming up more of my interview with Marquez. And it's uh, and all in his capacity to tell us what's going down in the technology spectrum. When he starts off returning. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more... FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. 
That's me too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. We're back on Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, co-host Chuck Nice. In studio guest today, Clive Thompson, a tech writer for the New York Times and Wired and, and uh, other venues, a few I others, presume. Yeah. A few others. A few others. We feature my interview with Marquez Brownlee. He's a, a 20-something, early 20s reviewer of tech devices that you might think of getting. Yeah. He does this on the internet, has millions of followers. And so I, I got here sort of uh, uh, <clears throat> a, an interesting sort of perspective, okay, on what role these this portable technologies might play today. So I just had to ask him what that relationship was cool. between these technologies and our lives. Let's check it out. You've only really ever known the internet as a thing in your life, mm -hmm. rather than having to tr have transitioned from walking to the library to get information and data. Yeah. So to you, your life is practically defined, enabled, by information you get on the internet, what those apps do for you as you conduct your life. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain amount of trust that you place in this information, in the integrity of this information. Yeah, uh, I have an app on my phone called Google Now, and if I go to class enough times with my phone in my pocket, it knows that I go there every day, so it puts that down as where I work, but it knows I go there every day. And if it's far enough away that I drive there every day, it'll start to show me a card in the morning of when I should leave based on traffic to get there on time, because I go there the same time every day. So now it's helping me get there on time because it knows where I go every day. Uh, if there's an accident, so it'll, it'll wake me up earlier to tell me you should head, on, head out earlier. Because there's there. an accident on the road because there. Because there's an accident on the road you're about to take to get to the place you're about to go. And all you're okay stuff, with all this? I'm okay with all of it because it's helping me. If they're, you know, this, people don't like to think that, you know, Google knows all this about us. They're going to use this information. Or even the machines that are collecting the information can turn and use it. I feel like if they're giving back this information to help me in this way, that's actually really useful. I'm okay with it. So I'm the senior citizen among the three of us. In my day, privacy was paramount. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that this next generation gives a rat's ass about privacy. Not at all. All their stuff is on the internet. <laughs> yep. where, what, where, you know, their height, their weight, mm -hmm. their sexual preference, their, mm -hmm. their gender pronoun. Mm. And can you just offer some reflections yeah. on the meaning of privacy in the era of, quote, helpful apps. Yeah. Helpful apps. I mean, it's definitely changed a lot for exactly uh, the reasons we've been talking about. It is sort of impossible if you're young right now to have a social life without participating in, you know, all these apps. You know, you are, if, if you- Social apps. Social apps, exactly. Like whether that's Snapchat or Facebook or whatever, um, you're kind of off the grid. Yeah. And, and there are there are abstainers, it's kind of funny. You, you will find young people who are like, I, I will have no truck with this. Um, but they're the ones who are like kind of the iconoclasts who don't really care about, you know, about having, you know, a, a, big, a big group of friends. So I think one of the problems young people have is that like they're, it's not, it's not even necessarily that they have a, a fundamentally different attitude towards privacy but they have no choice but to do these types of things in the same way that maybe for us when we were younger you know not getting a driver's license was sort of 
basically a vow of I'm never going anywhere that the cool kids are going, right? You know, you could have said, hey, I think no, I grew up in New York City. Yeah, okay, I, I, I grew up in suburban Toronto, so but you, fine, you needed you to go. drive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so you know, if you back then that if you opted out from that technology, you had a real social trouble. So, right? these, so these are cultural social forces yeah, operating. Absolutely, and if you're in the middle of it, you don't even know that there was another option. Yep. But my problem is that there is, it, you heard in his statement was resident a certain amount of trust in the sure. responsibility yeah. that Google has. Yeah, all this yeah, he's trusting he these companies. He's very yeah. trusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are, are you, are, do you point. trust? Are, what's your trust level? Wow. Um, you know, uh, I don't trust anybody. That's what yeah. I'm saying. No, not not in a conspiracy yeah, way. No, no. It's just I don't want you knowing this about me because it's power, and we all know power yeah, corrupts. Yeah, that's what I'm knowledge saying. Is, knowledge is knowledge about you is power, power. over you. That's See, right. you know, I, uh, uh, Franklin Ford. You sound is like right. old people under the I know. <laughs> I was about to say. Let me tell you something. The only way this could have got worse. Here's here's Google. It, okay, especially in the black community. Here's Google. If it had been invented uh, 25 years ago, Google in the black community. Why don't you mind your damn business? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's basically, exactly. that's the response. But go ahead. So my, right, so my I, I, Franklin Forrest came up with a book. Uh, he talks about big tech, right? And he means the great, big, huge companies that have massive amounts of power. You know, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, uh, and Google. And he makes a distinction between that and like kind of smaller tech, which are companies that you might actually know and trust. And I think that's a good distinction because you know what you guys are. No, but about all those big ones used to be little. Don't tell me that. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I could just big now. I agree. But like, so uh, the problem they we have. Born the problem, big. The problem we have, but there, there's small tech you can completely trust, like you know, open source stuff, like the Tor project, right? Right. So their whole point is to try and make it easier for you to have privacy online, and it's open source, and it's a, it's like a, you know, run for nonprofit, yeah. civic-minded hackers. There is technology out there that you can trust. It's not the stuff that is big and is you know rewarded heavily by the by the by the market. Right. Is, is by, there, by commercial by commercial entities. Exactly. It's yeah. all about the commercial entities. Is and there advertising. anything out? Is, right, advertising. Is there anything out there that you've said? Yeah. All right, that crosses the line. Oh yeah, sure. Yep, well, give me an I, I'll give you an example. Like so, there was um, I came home from a summer vacation, and I uh, opened up my Android phone, and Google said, "Hey, you know, we just put together a slideshow." Uh, of photos and like points on a map of all that I'd done the last two weeks just because we thought you might like it. Exactly. And it was so creepy, it was right? Creepy. It was super creepy. And and I, I always turn my locations off. Right. Okay. Mm. But sometimes you forget. Yeah. Uh-huh. And wait, wait. I got that same doggone exactly. slideshow yeah. and it, it freaked me out. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you why. Why? I'll tell you why. Oh, no. As, as I understand it. Yeah. Okay. Can't Google now, mm-hmm. if you put your picture up in the cloud, mm-hmm. it can do an image recognition of your surroundings, yep. compare it and with all their satellite feeder, and That's say, right. oh, oh no, was totally. this in the Plaza de Piazzo of the da, right. and shall we ID yep. it that way? Absolutely, in fact, actually, if you ask he me- He said it like, like, of course. If, if you ask me for the technology right now that most unsettles me, it's the galloping rollout of face recognition technology yes. into everything. Into everything. Um, and so I'm like, I, you know, I don't want my microwave, you know, recognizing my face. You know, right. I, don't, I don't want omnipresent face recognition all over the place. But it's getting so easy to do. Right. That you, I mean, just the other day, Google helpfully said, hey, guys, we just made TensorFlow, our AI framework, so it can run on, like, basically a Raspberry Pi. Oh, that's uh, crazy. You know, exactly. That's you insane, there you go. by the way. Yeah. And let me tell yeah. you something else that's Here's what really scares me about the facial recognition. Yeah. Um, aside from the fact that I don't, like you said, I don't want my microwave recognizing yeah. my face. You know, 
is the fact that once somebody learns how to hack that and make my face their like face sure. off, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. now they can just walk around and be me. Can However, you- as I understand it, go ahead. It's not just. It's better than what you would think. It's better than how you would do, thinking that you're looking at yourself. Because it's actually measuring ratios of dimensions of your face that are extremely hard to duplicate. Oh no, I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about going Mm. beyond the actual facial recognition, Mm -hmm. where that I go in and tell the software that, so I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I hack it and say it. So now everywhere Neil deGrasse Tyson, wherever I go, you're Neil deGrasse. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've hacked it to think I've that hacked way. into. You know no, what I'm that's okay. what's scary. Well, so, so, that will so happen. This brings going to happen. This you know. brings us to because you can't out-program it. You can just hack it in the back end. Always go around. So it. this brings me to the concept of internet identity. Mm-hmm. Okay, who are you on the internet and how and privacy breaches this sort of thing. And so, uh, so I had to ask him. Marquez Brownlee, just is the internet not only helping us, but now defining us, defining our identities and what is can it do? Let's let's check out the interview. So is your life being defined by what all the ways the internet inserts its way into your into your routine? Because in my generation, it's still this it's a luxury, it's a convenience, it's a tool. Yeah. It is not me. Right. So it, has it become you? So I, I would say yes. I would say the internet is part of our life and always has been in a way that other generations exist alongside the internet and may go over and use it once in a while. Everything we do now, whether it's uh, communication or sharing anything with anyone, whether it's someone I know or just posting something for the world, uh, all of it goes through the internet. Um, the convenience stuff, like I said, where a normal going to work routine would have no internet involved in it in 1990. Uh, today, it's relying upon Google Maps and, and my alarm clock on my phone and everything telling me when to wake up and when to leave and how to get there. Uh, so in that way, I do think we are completely tu- tuned into the internet in a way that's not the same as any other generation. Yeah. But can I say, it's not that so much you're tuned into the internet, the internet's tuned into you. That, that also is true. Do you have yeah. an identity outside of how you are represented on the internet? I think we You've got a Facebook page, this yeah. is what I am, this, this is how I want the world to see. It's almost like a pair of identities where you, you have your social life, but you have your social media life as well. And sometimes they're different. You'd be surprised how different they are with a single person having an online life versus an offline life which is kind of weird. How, okay, how close are the two for you? For me, I'm the same person. We'll be the judge. We'll be the judge. I mean, you can you can look it up. I'm out there. It's all the same. Yeah, so I wonder if uh, one of my favorite comics from uh, the 1990s New Yorker, there's a dog uh, at the computer. You, you know what I'm talking about. And when he says to the dog next to him, uh, good thing about the internet, no one knows you're a dog. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, what does it mean, and how real is it for people to just have a dual identity, the internet identity, and then their actual selves? Well, I'll I'll bite that far, I'll bite that off first. Um, I mean, we've always had multiple identities. Uh, um, in fact, you know, in the in the early twentieth century, uh, in the late nineteenth century, you had a migration of people from small towns to cities. And one of the things I loved about it was in the in the small town, everyone knew your business, and it was sort of impossible 
to reinvent yourself or to discover other sides of yourself. Because everyone's like, no, that's not who you really are. I know who you are, Clive Thompson, right? You go to the big city and suddenly it was like, lo and behold, wow, I could be someone Anybody different. I want. Or I could be a couple of different people. I'm one person at work and then I go off and I do my thing with my crab. There Just a something... quick thing. There are people who say, uh, the city is so crowded. I want to go out into a rural suburban area where no one will know me. Yeah. No, it's right. the opposite. No, yeah, no. Exactly. <laughs> they, they will yeah. figure you out in 15 minutes. Yes, yes. Whereas uh, and, in a city, right. no one gives a right, yeah, Nobody right. cares. Right. There's so, too many people to care. Nobody cares to know you. Yeah, yeah right. right, right. So I think having multiple identities is actually healthy uh, uh, and, and a good thing, frankly. Um, you, you just said... Repeat that. I think having multiple identities, you know, as long as they're not, you know, sociopathic and you have like a different postal box where you, uh, where you sort of, you know, order. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck, for a moment, I All thought right. I was getting approval. <laughs> All right. So anyway, the, uh, that, that's healthy. And, and there's an extent to which I think you see people trying to do that uh, online and kind of failing because large corporations don't want you to have that. They want to know everything about you. They want to assemble it all in one place so they can target ads at you. Um, like in, in, you know, this is Mark Zuckerberg's original statement of Facebook, you know, having different selves is a sign of inauthenticity. And of course he's going to say that because he wants to have everything about you so he can target ads at you. Right. You know? And, but, but what he's, where he's, uh, I was about to say failing miserably, but then I thought, Probably this is who I am, and I'm saying that he's failing, uh, so that doesn't make sense. Uh, but I think what he's not taking into account is the fact that when uh, you do have your different selves, they can also be authentic. Sure, absolutely. You can oh, have different selves different that authentic are self. authentic yeah. selves. No, that, that's my point. See, like, I, so I, I, play in, I play in bands, and I'm a journalist. Often those two crowds have no idea about the other part of me, right? Like mm. when I go and hang with musicians, some of them don't read the stuff I do. They're just, that's Clive the guitar player, right? You know? Exactly. Right. So it's, it, ultimately, are there legal ramifications to access to your private information? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I'm not a lawyer. And, so. and by the way, who reads the, the yeah. you know? Yeah. The, the, the disclaimer. The, dis, you know. the legal disclaimer that when you, and I always thought that when you click, yes, I agree, that some type of really weird thing should happen. Like you hear a knock on the door and somebody's like, yeah, we're here for your wife. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah, yeah man, when you clicked, I agree. <laughs> oh, no, it's crazy stuff. The, um, uh, I mean, I, so I, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I'm not going to give you a good legal answer. But, um, but it, it's definitely true that I think one of the big issues right now is like, you know, what? What protections, legal protections, do we have for the way our data is used? Right now, over in Europe, they actually have a much different view. Germany, particularly, because they have the Stasi, right? So they are they they have a lot of laws, and Google runs against these and hates them and lobbies against them. You know, I think I think we probably need much much better protections in this country. Can and should an employer hold your social media life against you? I don't think they should. No. I don't. I really don't think they should most of the time, particularly at the hiring level, right? Yeah, that's because, what I'm talking about. Yeah, the sure. At, level. at the level of hiring, okay. And because, then they, they say, "What are they posted?" And what drunken pictures? Yeah. You know. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think that they should be doing that stuff because that, that that's tantamount to in the pre-internet era. Say, hey, can we come home and just rummage right, around your stuff, house? Right. You know, mm -hmm. and that you know that was that was considered unreasonable back then. It it should be similarly considered unreasonable now. That's why I'm a comedian today. Because all my stuff on social media, I can't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so you just tell jokes about it. Exactly. <laughs> we got to take a break, but coming up more on the future of technology when Star Talk returns. We're back on Star Talk, and I've got my expert guest, 
Wired Magazine and New York Times columnist Clive Thompson. Hey there. We're talking about the future of technology. Chuck Nice. That's right, sir. So we're not experts at this, but we have strong opinions on it. Yes. And he's got expertise, so we're good. And we're featuring <laughs> my interview with Marquez Brownlee. He's the 20-something-year-old who's been reviewing technology for everybody on the internet. So I had to ask him, uh, where does he think technology is headed? Let's check it out. So what are you going to be telling your kids? And they say, back in my day when I was 22, yeah. look what we had to do. Oh, my gosh. Can I have sympathy, please? Honestly, I'm thinking cars. I'm hoping cars. How we drive cars today and we... we no, those would be really big gadgets. Does that count as something you would that. review? I count that. I say anything with an on button is game. Technically, not every car has an on button, but if you look at some of the more high-end cars today, they've got electric systems galore, plenty of high-tech. I feel like a lot of the stuff we have now that's inside of a car that you have to control, like the steering wheel, even if you're in a self-driving car, they still want you at the controls in case something might go wrong because it's a computer and it's a system. That's that funny could because go that wrong. the fact that you say that implies that something would go wrong with the machine yeah. that the human can correct, right. rather than something going wrong with the human that, that the machine. machine needs to correct. Yeah, <laughs> because last I checked, all those accidents on the street are, are humans, humans messing up for sure. But even the the systems getting to the point where everyone has a car that is capable of driving itself. No one even needs that space of a steering wheel in the car. You just kind of sit down, it's maybe a bench facing another bench, and you just kind of ride along to your destination. I feel like that's way down the road where we're at the point where a car is sort of fusing into the next generation of vehicle at this point. So if cars do all the driving on the road, then in principle, you can up the speed limit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Because you're not at risk of reaction time. Exactly. So I'm imagining you go 150, 200 miles an hour driving yeah. down the road. No problem. And they'll just weave inter seamlessly within each other in a way that would be scary if a human was trying to do it, but it'll just be totally normal. That's right, because if all the cars are going 200, any high speed, yeah. then it's a moving coordinate system so that a car can move in and out of that. That's the other thing. All the cars are sort of talking to each other as, as points in the matrix yeah, and they can all that. sort of avoid each other because they already know if car all the way on the right lane with a bunch of stuff in between it knows it wants to go to the left and car all the way on the left knows it wants to go to the right and they can tell the cars around it, I'm trying to go to the right, I'm trying to go to the left. Human couldn't do that with another car on the other side of the road. No, you can honk. And then you can try. You can try. <laughs> But those those machines can work with each other much more efficiently. I than never considered that. Yeah. So it's it's a it's it's a ballet on the freeway. It's a symphony. Symphony. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. So so Clive, what is, um, what you know? Why do we get uh, software updates? Because there are bugs that are found by uh, the many users that mm -hmm. uh, often the testing is just, let's put it out there and yeah, see what yeah. comes back, yep. right? So self-driving cars where lives are at risk, mm -hmm. uh, what is the risk of there being some kind of bug where it kills people? Uh, or, or, or on top of that, what's yeah. the risk of hacking into a car I, to create the accident in the first place? I think the hacking might be a bigger risk than the bugs. I mean, uh, uh, regulatorily, it's going to be tricky for them to get those cars on the road because cars are pretty tightly regulated unless they can demonstrate, you know, pretty persuasively there's a lot of bugs. Now, hacking is a different thing because now you've got a human person that's trying actively to break something, right? And that's a much more volatile 
risk. There's already been situations where cars are out there and, you know, Wired, did, Wired hired a couple of hackers to literally take over a car while it's going on the highway. And they did and it, they no did problem. It. Yes, right? they did. So, um, so I think uh, I've driven in self-driving cars. It's the in diabolical them. division. Yeah, of exactly. <laughs> Wired. Wired. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, um, no, I, I've, rid, I've, I've ridden in Google self-driving cars. Um, felt pretty comfortable. They're actually, in a weird way, they're almost sort of cautious drivers. Like, it's like being there with your grandmother at the, at the right, wheel yeah. uh, um, right now. Could get faster, as you point out. But um, uh, overall, you know, if I were to compare it to the dangers of humans driving cars, I'm probably okay, you know, with the self-driving cars if it's well-regulated. That's the big if, right? So that's the future. I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think it might be, it might take longer than we think. You're getting these rosy predictions of five years. Yeah, I don't see five years. No, no. But the fact is that they are on the road right now. They do work. Which I forget the trucking company. The auto. Auto. Yeah. So mm -hmm. now Auto has gone cross-country, uh, traversed the country several yep. times with their with their semi. Yeah. And um, the only thing the human being is doing is monitoring. They right, have a right. guy that sits there right. and monitors. That's and, it. And you could also, I mean, frankly, the other reason I'm kind of in favor of it is it, it has potentially great environmental benefits, right? Because you get way less idling. Right. You get way less jackrabbit starts. These are things that burn huge amounts of What's CO2. a jackrabbit start? You know, when you're just, you're, you're, you're at rest and you suddenly <laughs> burst off, right? Because you know, humans, humans want to accelerate fast. Robot cars are like, no, boy I'm humans. just going to ease forward. Boy humans. Boy testosterone. Humans. <laughs> testosterone <laughs> infused boy humans. There's okay. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I, yeah, cause I didn't learn how to drive until I was 25. Yeah. And that's after the, the boy-human testosterone forces right. have dissipated. Oh, right. nicely done. Yeah, yeah. It was very... And, and you get lower uh, All boys insurance. should not be able to do anything until they're 25. <laughs> exactly Let's be right. honest. Exactly. Let's go, we're, we're three men sitting here. We know the deal. We if, know, right, if right. If you're <laughs> under 25 and you have a penis, you're effing crazy. That's <laughs> all there is to it, okay? There's something deeply wrong with you. You need help. You should talk to somebody. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> Every one of you, okay? <laughs> so uh, what intrigues me is when you have a self-driving car and it's talking to other cars, there's signals, there's... I just learned that uh, the Tesla is... Uh, talks to other Teslas. So if you come onto a bumpy road and then you make the adjustment to change your suspension, which of course you can do, that information goes to the next Tesla, any other Tesla that will be on that road and it'll pre-adjust the suspension before it enters the, the bumpy part of the road. See, this is where the stuff just gets creepy, man. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. This don't is you what want I, the, your car to, to I know? I don't want my car talking to no other cars, <laughs> you okay? And, do not talk to any other cars. <laughs> what, how many times do I have to tell you? Don't talk to strangers, car, okay? Stranger danger. I don't want that Tesla just like- Don't you want to know if there's a hazard in the, in the road? No, what I don't want is that other Tesla saying, you know your owner doesn't love you, right? right? Exactly. Okay, and, and the interesting point's gonna be, will there come a point when the government decides that the self-driving cars are so much safer that it's illegal for a human to drive a car. They could surely do that. However, I've thought yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not, you cannot take a horse on the interstate. Right. Even though there's a day when horses were the only things that uh, brought you good around. Good point, mm. good point. So now, if you like horses, you go to a stables. Right, right yeah, yeah. Where you so can there's a place a for you to race. Exactly. So, so we'll have racetracks. We'll have racetracks. Where then if you're still a sports car collector right. and you want to control your own car, you take it to the sports, the, 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 you have a, a berth at the sports track, right. at, this, at the driving track, and that's where you drive and you get your thrills, just like the horseback riders do. So the Mustang will just be just like a real Mustang. <laughs> you got to go to the stables. You got to go to the stables and pull your Mustang out of the garage and take it for a ride. Giddy up. Oh, man.
I just I asked um, Marquez, is there any any other future of technology that he's excited about or intrigued by? Let's check it out. When you're the ripe old age of 32, how do you want to be living life? What how, what technology do you want to be surrounding you? Well, 10 years from now, let's see. I hope uh, I hope car tech is on another level. I hope that's the most exciting part. And that's the right horizon for this to kick yeah, in if it's going to do it. All right. Uh, I hope the, the handheld devices we have are no longer handheld. And that's pretty ambitious for 10 years, I think. But the but communication... Are they? Are they? Well, someone would argue they're like in your arm or like on, attached. You've seen wearable tech smartwatches that kind of shrink down and, and end up on your wrist or on your ear or on your neck or something like that. But uh, how about the, the biology uh, technology interface? Sort of interfusion? Yeah. It's Put a little USB thing right here. Yeah, right in, in your the neck. neck. And they kind of did that in, in, no one called it that, but they were, they were USB ponytails in, in Avatar. Oh, right? oh. Remember I that? Remember they, 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 they take their hair and they plug sort of it like into download. the plant. Yeah, yeah, and they, they would communicate with one another. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I see, though, is like a, a much more uh, portable but complete version of your, your digital self to just exist and be able to move around. And... Yeah, so Clive, is this, uh, how real is this interface of biology and technology? And I ask because mm. do I need my iPhone neurologically attached to me when it's sitting at my fingertips to begin with? I mean, isn't that the same it, thing? It's, it's awfully intimate right now, right? It's, it's right there. It's Completely. Other, yeah, they talk about wearable technology. We already have wearable technology. We've all, we're all carrying phones with us, right? It's in my pocket. Um, you know, but there's people working on, you know, Google's working on these, you know, like contact lenses that have like technology, display technology in them. They're working on that quite seriously. So any ethical frontiers here that we don't know about yet? Um, bioethical? I mean, the, the, the bioethical frontiers uh, concerns are always, uh, do you produce something that's great for intelligence, performance, and ability, but is ex so expensive that only rich people get it, right? That that's okay. that tends to be the, I, the, I, answer, I have, the I, answer is yes. I, no, I heard a rebuttal to that from Ray Kurzweil, because we had him on Star Talk. Sure, yeah. All right? He said, no, that's not a problem, the haves and the haves not. And I mm. said, why? He said, because... When it first comes out, it never works well anyway, and it's stupendously right. expensive, right. and it's not, and and so yes, only a few people have it, but mm. only when it becomes mass market sure. does it become truly functional. That's yeah. true. Uh, I, I, yeah, th th no, he's right. He's right. Uh, when phones first came out, you know, you had to be pretty rich to get the a phone. First computers are pretty first useless. First computers, and, uh, they're useless, and the first phones are completely useless. Right. Yeah. And the yeah. ones that are mass market are the ones that are most. So that's why I don't see that as a problem. Well, I mean, I hope he's right. Shall we say? Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, Clive, it's been great having you. Yeah, it's been uh, great being on. It's a good conversation, guys. And we got to bring you back. We'll, we'll surely find some other excuse. Yeah, you're much better than the other writers. You call <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, cool. Chuck, any any final thoughts here? No, I just think that uh, this is a very scary time if you're, if you're I'm somebody. I'm happy thoughts. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, technology is wonderful, and I'm so happy that we have it. Yes, and we, I think the human race is so much better off now that we're all have our faces stuck in some stupid phone instead of talking to one another. You know, I think I think we don't. I think we are still in our infancy. Do you know? It took multiple centuries after the printing press before anyone figured out that you could make something called a newspaper. True. So it was you had broadsheets and things, but a, a, a routinely mm -hmm. produced newspaper, a daily, a, a, a daily, a daily, a daily. that yeah. was took like four hundred years, right. uh, three hundred something years. So. Here we are at the dawn of the internet, even though it's 10, 15, 20 years old. I think we don't 
yet know we're still playing with ourselves right and i don't think we have we have i i think there's a level of maturity of how to use the power of this technology that we have yet to attain. I just love that you said level of maturity after you said playing with yourself, and I'm yeah, standing, I'm, I'm sitting I, here like I can't help it. No comment. By no. the way, the number one thing that the internet causes <laughs> to play, play with people playing with themselves. Okay. So I just think there's a, there's a level of technological maturity that we have yet to achieve, and uh, I don't know when. Is it 50 years? Is it 100 years? Uh, 150 years, I don't know, but only then can we, we really say that uh, it doesn't own us, we own it. Nice. You've been watching and probably more likely listening to Star Talk, and I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Chuck, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. Live. Uh, good, good to, be to here have also. you. And I publicly thank Marquez Brownlee for agreeing to that interview. And until next time, as always, I bid you.